0: How's everybody doing today? (laughs) Let's try that again. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Happy Easter. Easter. Man, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we really appreciate you jumping in with us to celebrate Easter today. You know, Easter is, um, it is the most important day of the year to Christians, It is, yeah, it's worth cheering for. It's not the most important day of the year culturally, it's just not, but for believers in Jesus Christ, it is the very most important day of the year, and today, I want to take just a minute and wrestle with a question with you, and I, I hope you'll join me. Here's the question, why is Easter so significant? Now, some of you are sitting there and going, um, you're a pastor, you should probably know this. Yeah, okay, yes, I, I agree. And, and certainly, it's so significant because we believe that Jesus rose from the grave. But can we take a minute and talk about a reality? See, even, even in the Bible, okay, even in the Bible, Jesus' resurrection is one of 10 times where people died And came back to life. It's not the only time. And so what makes Jesus' resurrection? What makes his so special? What makes his the one that we decide, okay, yep, here's the one. We're going to celebrate this one. Some people say, well, it's significant because he's the only one who predicted it. He's the only one who said, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and then three days later, I'm going to come back. Okay, that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. If you said that to me, and then you did it, I'd be like, whoa, Um, that's a pretty big deal. But the reality is, there's something else that makes the resurrection of Jesus far more significant than just the idea that someone died and came back to life. I mean, it can't just be that he predicted it and then did it. That, that's not it. So today I want to demonstrate for you that there is something that's actually bigger than just the fact that he rose from the grave, something bigger than just the idea that he predicted it and then did it. There is something that was actually accomplished that day, okay? Something that was finished, something that was accomplished distinctively at Jesus' resurrection, Something that offers us something that honestly no one else could offer. And I would even venture to say nothing else in the world offers this. And in order to help you see it, I want to tell you a story. The story is about my friend Nancy. Let me just show you a picture of her. This is Nancy. I met Nancy Tibbetts 13 years ago, pastoring in Kansas City. About three months ago, um, I traveled back to Kansas City because uh, there's a family that I became good friends with while pastoring there and their dad, his name was Steve, had passed away and they asked me to come back. I went back and got to spend time with the family and be there and comfort them and then lead through the funeral, but while I was in Kansas City, I got a call from Nancy's daughter, Angie. Angie called me and she said, hey, Aaron, I, I don't know if you've heard, but since you left, um, mom has developed lung cancer. I said, oh, man, I hadn't heard. I said, can I stop in and see her? She said, yeah. So I went and met with Nancy. I went over to her house. When I got there and I walked in the house, I knew instantaneously that something was wrong. See, cancer does this thing. It, it begins to attack the body. And just in six months of me being gone and then seeing her, I could tell instantly that her body was failing and falling apart. I went and sat on the couch next to her, had some time to talk with her. We shared stories, we laughed, we cried, we read, we prayed. And then I had to get on a plane and come back home to to New York. After I'd been back home for a couple of weeks, I got a call again from Angie, and Angie said, Aaron, things aren't looking so good. I don't really know what's going to happen. We're going to try some experimental treatments, but we just wanted you to know. I said, okay, do you mind if I FaceTime your mom? I got to FaceTime with Nancy, and, and, and Nancy, you know, talked with me, and we, we did a couple things. We, we laughed, we cried, we read, and we prayed. And then just two weeks ago, Nancy's other daughter, Christina, called me and she said, Aaron, it's really not good. So at this point, you can guess what we did. We FaceTimed. We didn't laugh so much. We cried a lot more. We read. And we prayed. And within 24 hours... Nancy had passed from this life. Over the last 20 years, I've walked with a lot of people like that. Many of you have too. You've been there when a parent, when a, when a spouse, when a friend, when a neighbor, some of you even when a child has walked through something like that. And here's what I know. I know that I absolutely could not do what I do. I could not stare into the realities of this world unless there was some sort of hope. Unless there was something that told me that there would be a better future, that things would change, that there would be something better. And you know what I found? I found that this world doesn't offer a whole lot of hope. Have you found that? Can we test it for a minute? Let's look at a few things in our world today, okay? Let's, let's look at the news together. How you feeling about hope? Okay, some of you say, well, it depends what channel's on. Are we watching CNN or Fox? Well, that, you know, okay, so the rest of you are MSNBC people. Okay, whatever. Listen, it doesn't matter what channel you turn on. When you watch the news, you're not getting a whole lot of hope. Okay, that's not fair. Let's try something else. Let's try something else. Something that, where there could actually be change. What about politics? <laughs> we live in the state of New York. How much hope are you feeling right now? Right? What about the economy? What about the future? So the reality is that this world doesn't offer us a whole lot of hope. And even if we go back 2,000 years to when Jesus was born, here's what you're going to find. When Jesus lived this earth, there wasn't a whole lot of hope back then either. You think our government's bad today? Go back and look at the Roman oppression. You think things are tough today? You think the economy is bad? Imagine what it would be like to live under a regime that had 60, 70, and 80% taxes. That was the world into which Jesus came. And then, just when people thought there might be hope, this man is on the scene. He's doing things that people have never done. He's spending time with messy people, people like me. You weren't supposed to do that if you were religious. He's healing people. He's doing and saying things that nobody can believe. Just when a small group of people started to think there could be hope, all of a sudden, he hung on a cross and he died. If we could go back and ask those people closest to him. Let's take a guy like Peter or John. If we could say, Peter, what do you think about Jesus? Peter, one of his disciples would say, man, like, we thought he was really the guy. That's the guy we've been waiting for. He's the one. But all of a sudden, he died. And Peter, what do you think of him now? I don't don't know because he's, he's dead. Until... Until something changed. And what changed, changed everything. What changed, changed everything for Peter. It changed everything for the disciples. And I'm here to tell you, it has changed everything for me. In fact, there is no way I could do what I do. And there's no way I could invest in people and have meaningful relationships. And watch what we've watched in this world unless there is some sort of hope. And here's what I want you to know. Hope is the very reason that Easter is significant because Easter is the very thing that I believe produces hope. And here's what I know about you. I'll speak for myself. Here's what I know about myself. But I I think this is true about you too. You and I need hope because there's not a whole lot of hope in this world. I need hope to drag myself out of bed. Otherwise, I'll be honest with you, it'd be really easy to just sleep all day and sleep all night and never want to go and do anything because this world can be dark. But I am convinced there is hope. So I want to show and share with you why I am so sure about hope and I want you to see where it comes from. I believe hope actually comes from the central defining piece of Christianity. The problem is the central most defining piece of Christianity, we tend to think it's the rules of the religion or a building or even these written word or the written word of the Bible but the central defining piece of all of Christianity is not the rules, it's not do this and don't do this and if you do, if you're a good little boy or a good little girl, then God will love you. That's not it. It's not religion. It is not even the Bible. It's not even the written word. That's not it at all. The good news is a man named Paul tells us what the central defining piece of all of Christianity is. He gives it to us in a letter that he wrote to a bunch of people who lived in in Greece, a a city called Corinth, just a little ways north of of Athens, Greece. He says this in in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. Do you want to know what the key, what the most significant piece of all of it? And by the way, Paul is writing before there was a Bible. You understand that? There's no Bible then. He... There were Christians before there was a Bible. There were Christians before there was organized religion. There were Christians before there was an organized building called a church. He's saying, I want you to know what is the central piece. Here's what it is. He divides it into three parts. Part one, Christ died for our sins just as the scripture says. That's part one. Jesus lived the life that I should have lived, and then he died the death that I deserved to die. That's part one. Part two, verse four, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's part three, just as the scriptures say. Now, bear with me for a minute. Let's, let's just assume that maybe you're, you're, you're kind of like me. I'm actually kind of a skeptic. I, I really am. I, I personally like, when somebody tells me something, I look at it and I go, eh, not so sure. I'm going to dig into it. Maybe you're like me and you're, you're mildly skeptical. Here's the interesting thing. This letter was written, this 1 Corinthians letter was written about 50 AD within 20 years of Jesus' death. So he goes on to give more proof. He doesn't just say, hey, take my word for it. He goes on to give more proof. He says this, he was seen, who's the he? Jesus The raised Jesus. Remember the one on the cross? We have have historians who talk about Jesus actually dying on the cross. Not Christian historians, by the way. Roman and Jewish historians who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They account for us that he actually did die. But then, Peter says, 20 years later, he was seen, or Paul says, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. These guys were still alive. You don't believe, Paul? Go talk to Peter. Go talk to the 12. Then he goes on. He says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. You don't believe him? Go talk to them. He goes on. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Now, who's James? James was a half-brother of Jesus. How do you convince your brother that you're the Messiah? Good luck with that. I mean, my brother and I have a pretty good relationship. I think he likes me, but he'd tell you the truth about me. (laughs) How do you convince your brother that you're the Messiah? Here's how. You die, and you come back to life. That's what Jesus did. And then finally, verse 8, Paul says this, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He's, Paul himself saw Jesus. So what's, what's the point of all of that? Here's the point. It has to do with the central, most defining piece of Christianity. It's this. The central, most defining piece of Christianity is not the rules. It's not religion. It's not even the written word. It is the resurrection. And in that resurrection, you have to know what we have. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us there is hope. There's hope. So pause with me for just a minute, okay? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know the the ins and outs of, of all of it. But would you, would you humor me for the next 10 minutes? Would you just humor me for 10 minutes and, and imagine what if there were hope for that thing that comes to your mind right now? Because I believe there is. I believe that there is hope. There is hope because of what the resurrection has produced and promised. In fact, I think the resurrection makes three promises to us. I'm going to walk you through those promises because they show us why we have hope. The first shows up, we're going to start in verse 21. Here's what it says. It says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Who is he talking about here? Well, the first one, death came into the world through a man. This is talking about a man named Adam. We'll see in the next verse. Adam was the first human being. He, he rejected what God had said and sinned, and because of it, sin and death and all sorts of sickness and, and the reality of now even cancer has come into the world because of him. And if we go back that one verse, here's what we see. Now, the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. There's hope for life after this, through another man. Verse 22, look at what he says. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. There's that Adam reference. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Then he goes on, verse 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised As the first of the harvest. He's the first fruit. He's the first one. It's like I grew up on a farm. We'd go out into the field. We would always go and take a little test. We'd harvest a bit of the the field and see, hey, is it dry enough? How are things going? That is the proof that the rest of the harvest is good. And that's what Jesus proves. He is the first fruit. Then everyone who belongs to Christ will be raised when he comes back. What am I saying? Dear brothers, well, he's saying there is hope because things are going to change. Verse 50, look at what he says. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body breaks down. Does anybody agree? (laughs) I am thankful that I will not be trapped in this body forever right? Well, you don't have to be that enthusiastic, okay? <laughs> I I am thankful for that. Now, some of you are like under the age of 25, and you're like, what are you talking about? I don't see any problem with this. Eh, it's coming, okay? It, it's coming. It It starts to break down, and Paul, in talking about what the resurrection promises to us, he's saying, Hey, your physical body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Then he goes on in verse 51 and he says this He says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Yeah. I don't know why when I read that, I just hear like, you know, transformers. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's not it at all, though. He's, he's saying there's something coming where, where our, our mortal bodies, our physical bodies that break down, they're going to be changed in a way that they won't break down anymore. They won't get old anymore. They won't be plagued by sickness anymore and death and dying. Something good is coming. Coming and I gotta tell you, when I watch that change from, from from ten months ago seeing Nancy to then six months later to see that change, I gotta tell you, I am glad there is a transformation coming. That's the reality. Verse 52. Here's what he says. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. The resurrection is a promise that just as Jesus' body was raised, and it was glorified, it was changed in a way that, that, that you know, people could still tell who he was, but they were like, whoa, there's something crazy happening. That's going to happen for you. If you're in Christ, all because of the resurrection. So here's the point. We have hope today because the resurrection promises complete transformation. Let's talk about that for a minute. No more cancer. No more arthritis. No more messed up backs. Right? No more mental health struggles, no more depression, right? All of it gone. Now, I'm just putting in my order today. I want an 18-year-old body. How does that sound? sound? Actually, I'd like it to be a little more mature. I'm going for a 25-year-old body, okay? How's that sound, all right? I'll take that. No, like, he's going to change it. He's going to fix it. And it's proven by the fact that Jesus did not stay dead. Now, that's not all. He goes on. Look at what else he says. He says this in verse 53. He says, our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Okay, that sounds good. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Okay, so this, that, this new body that we get, it's never going to die. It will not be touched by, and we will not taste death. Okay. Then he goes on and he says, verse 54, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. This is huge. This is a a quotation. What he's about to quote is from the Old Testament. God made a promise that something good was coming and the resurrection delivers on it. Here's what he says. Here's the promise. He says this. He says, where death is swallowed up in victory, okay, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is beaten. It's done. That's the only way I can get on the phone with Nancy and say, hey, I love you, and I'm going to see you again. And the reality is, I'm, I'm, I'm young enough. I know I don't look super young, but I, I'm young enough that, I, that I, I haven't tasted that yet with my parents. I haven't tasted it with a spouse. But some of you have. This is why the resurrection is a big deal. This is why I have hope. Because death is beaten. The resurrection defeated Death, not just for you. I met in our first service last night. I met a woman, It's her first time here, and she told me her story. She told me her story about how 23 years ago she was in a terrible car accident on Tracy Creek right up here. She hit black ice, spun around, and then a vehicle coming from the other direction plowed right into her. Towards the end of it, she told me about how her 11-year-old son was in the car and died. And the only way that that woman has been able to endure to today is that God stepped into her life shortly after that and demonstrated to her that there is hope because of Jesus. Because death has been defeated, period. Now let me share with you the last part of the passage. In verse 56, here's what it says. In talking about death and sin and how it all works together, he says, for sin is the sting that results in death. Because we've, listen, I I don't know what you think about yourself, and I'm sure you're a good person, but the reality is that, that we've all sinned. Okay? We don't like to use that word, we like to say, well, we're, we're, we're mistakers, I made a mistake, but the reality is, a mistake is something that you make on a math test, a mistake is something that you do when you're writing in on your taxes, and you mess up, and you erase it, and you correct it, and the reality is, you and I have chosen to do things that we knew were wrong. And I know it's a, a scary word, but that means we're s- Sinners. And because of it, what comes is death. And the law is what gives it power. God has the right to say, this is right and this is wrong because he made me. But then in verse 57, he goes on and he says this But thank God. You want to know why Easter's a big deal? You want to know why I think it's the biggest day of the year? This. But thank God because he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, there's no hope. Without him, you're stuck to figure it out yourself. And I'm sorry, but I've tried it. Maybe you're smarter than me. You probably are. But I haven't found much hope. Verse 58. What's the result of it all? So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Now stop there with me for a minute. Okay, cancer, be strong and immovable. An oppressive government, be strong and immovable. The economy's bad, be strong and immovable. No matter what comes, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Why? Because you know that nothing you do For the Lord is ever useless. Here's the thing I struggle with wondering whether or not, hey, is there a purpose? Am I I here for a reason? This verse tells me the resurrection says yes. Everything we do for the Lord is not useless. You ever wondered, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? The resurrection gives today purpose. So we have hope. I don't have to find my purpose in money, in accomplishments, or anything else. I get to find purpose in who God is, what he says, and following and obeying and serving him. I wonder... Are you tired of wondering why you are here? Now let me show you the story of another one of my friends. His name is Bob. Would you listen?
1: Years ago, I had a problem with drinking. Well, that didn't get me anywhere. Matter of fact, this got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of expense. And uh, eventually, I went to AA. They talk about your higher power. But to me, my it's God. I asked God to save my, you know, and he did. He saved me from the alcoholism. That was before I think I was saved. I really accepted him into my life, and that was around 2006. God is in control of my life. I let him come into my life. I mean, he's taken a lot of things, a lot of my bad habits away from me, and he's he's made me a better person, you know? It's not the things that I do to make me better in God's eyes. God makes me better through His grace, and I do good things because of the grace He has shown me. I do good things, well, because I want to, but because He's in me. I have Him guiding me. It's like having my dad there guiding me. It's powerful, man, it's real powerful. This is... Um, been both a, uh, trying, but a very, very good past couple years. And the reason is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I went to Johns Hopkins and had it removed. But, um, apparently they didn't get all of it. And as a result, it spread. One night I went to go get up to, uh, go to the bathroom and it felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. It turned out I had three fractured vertebrae and a fractured pelvis. um, Cancer spread into that area, of the bones, and I have it in different areas. So I'm just doing my thing and um, praying and taking care of my wife and praying for my family. To me, I found out the past couple years that the most important choice a person can make in their life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But on the other hand, if you say, "Hey, I can do these things myself. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. You know, maybe I have Buddha or something, or I believe in the, you know, the trees or whatever. But I, that, that's not going to save your soul." You know, there's only one person that was crucified, died, and came back to life. And if that never happened, I'd be a fool. But I'm a fool, because it happened. And I have faith and belief, and I know that someday, my wife and I are gonna have better bodies, Looking good, we're going to be saying, good morning, Jesus. Hey, Moses, what's happening? You know, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. Hey, there's Billy over here, your cousins. Oh, it's going to be good. But the only thing is, you got to believe it. You got to have faith. You have to go right to the engineer, the person, the guy who made the machine. Who made us? God made us. So he knows how to fix us. Everybody has their ups and downs. And being a Christian, we have our trials. But just knowing in your heart, I don't worry about things. I know I have these problems. I let the doctor and God take care of them. I just follow the orders. I don't worry. God is in control. Changed my life change yours.
0: See, that's the reality. He can change your life. Ten years ago, I sat in my office with Nancy. And she was sharing with me all of her struggles and hurts and pains. And we walked through a number of verses and then I asked her a question. I want to show you the verses that we walked through. In Romans 10, it says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not rules. It's not religion. It's not even the written word, it's Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection in your place. He goes on in verse 10 and he says this, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Recognizing that Jesus went in my place and he picked up my sin and he carried it away. He, he took it on himself and nailed it to the cross. If you've ever read the, the account of Jesus' crucifixion, you or heard it, um, you, you hear this, this phrase that comes out of Jesus' mouth at one point where he says, he says, you know, Father or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, what's happening there? Jesus took on himself my sin. And the Father had to turn his back on him. God being good and right and righteous and just had to turn his back. And the reality is that by believing and turning in faith we are saved. Verse 11 says this says as the scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Is that anyone? Is that, is that, are you sure it's anyone? You know their past? You know all their? Yeah, I know it is. Because in, there, in, his, in, in Paul's day when he wrote this, there were, there were people who, who were known as you know kind of like the, the, the terrible people. There were Jews, and then Gentiles were people who wanted nothing to do with God. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. It is for everyone. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. And it ends in verse 13 by saying this for everyone 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 who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved so I want to leave you with this ten years ago I asked Nancy this, this wonderful lady let me remind you I asked her this question I said to her Nancy what would keep you from turning to Jesus? And I want to ask you the same question. Where are you going to look for hope? Because I need it. And so do you. What would keep you from turning to Jesus? Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that hope is alive. Because you are alive, thank you that there is hope in the midst of our suffering and Bob sharing his story of battling cancer and in 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 nancy's battle and then ultimately succumbing to it and God i we need hope we need hope for tomorrow <laughs> we need we need hope just so we can continue on in this world and Your son's death, burial, and resurrection promises it. God, I pray that today we would wrestle with that question, what would keep me from turning to Jesus? Because you made it easy and simple. You said anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.